Welcome to the Sean Hayes Podcast, where we discover people's turning points. Changing the world one story at a time. Hello, Pastor Jack. Hey, how you doing, my friend? Very good. Very nice to have you on today. This is our first episode, as you know. And as the, the first episode, of course, I was going to have you on first. Well, I'm really excited about it. I am too. I would love to hear, and I think everyone listening to this would just love to hear about your past, how you turned around your past, and how you made your future great, the future of your children great, and also the future of other people great. And I would just love to uh, hear about this. So would you please start with just a little bit of an explanation of your past, and I'll ask you some questions about that. Okay, well. I came from a home with uh, a mother and a father, and I was spoiled. And then I left home at a young age. And in leaving home, I went into the street. And I found that, you know, I wanted that freedom. But freedom comes with an expense. I did not know I wasn't really ready to have that expense. I didn't know, but I was young. And so I did some things, you know. I became a pimp. I went from cocaine and champagne, and then it was more champagne, less cocaine. Then I started smoking crack. And uh, I had girls, and I just was, I thought I was having fun. See, addiction will show you the cheese, but it don't show you the trap. Hmm. You know, it, it makes you think that you're all right while you're going down a slippery slope, and you don't even know it. So in me going through this and getting incarcerated and doing a lot of things I shouldn't, you know, my mother came to my house. I was on Riverside in 72nd, and she said, this is really nice, and... uh you know you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. But if you're going to do things like this, make it look this good. <laughs> you know, um, my mother, she was always my best friend. And no matter what, she was in my corner. She would say things like, he's my horse if he never win the race. Mm. So uh, I think we need to do that and let our kids know how, that they're loved no matter what. What do you think at that time, we're actually going to be talking on this show on this tipping point when you actually went from being someone who was on the straight path and then you went off that straight path what could have someone done at that time to ensure that you didn't tip over into the path of usage of, of jugs really i don't think there's nothing see that forest experience is what i needed and i was capable of going through it and not stopping and staying in it. And what I went through, these things can be happening to you, but they're not happening to you. They're happening for you. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. Mm. So this made me stronger. I went through some stuff that made me and brought out to this nasty that my mother had put in me. Mm. You know, and now that I came out, I could help somebody else. What can you do? You know, you think think back at that time. So we all want to help someone else, right? I mean, that's one of our goals, and we actually work together on some stuff with that. So how could we help, like a young boy that 
we had over here that was going to a potential life of of crime, right? He was going into a, a, a gang. You think anything could have been done when you were a child that would have stopped that path? I think everything happened that was supposed to happen for you. Yeah. You know, see, sometimes we want to fly in and save people. Mm. But sometimes some people need to go through what they're going through. And you coming in putting on your Superman cape, flying and thinking that you could change the world. And what you do is you enable them to stay in that same mess. Mm. It's the difference between helping people and enabling people. Like you see people on the street and they like tell you they hungry and ask you for a dollar. Sometimes, sometimes that's a dollar that will keep them locked in the place where they are. Mm. They can't step up because that dollar and the, another person's dollar leads to them buying drugs or whatever, alcohol, and leads them to not going up the path of their life. Sometimes you have to bust your head to learn that I don't want my head busted again. What step did you have? What, what head busting told you this is the last you're what? going to go on the actual right path. What happened? What was the most beneficial busted head that you had? Oh, okay. Well, this is what happened. The night before I got arrested, I prayed. You know, my mother always let me know that there was a God. And I prayed and I said, Mama, you know, I, I told her something. You know, she told me, she said, tell me when you're going to get out of this because you're locked in here. I said, I am. So, um. And I prayed and I asked God, I said, God, I don't want to get hurt. I don't want nobody in my family to get hurt. And I don't want to go to jail, but I got to stop this. Mm. The next day I went to jail. Mm. How do you tell the help how to help? Mm. See, I wasn't arrested. I was rescued. Huh. But I didn't know that. And, and me being arrested, that gave me a moment of clarity to think about what I was doing with my life. And, and what? Was I called for? Because I was called for more than just, you know, smoking crack and, you know, straight lace, no chase, and hot pursuit of a prostitute, hold money, no money for show money, pretty jack, gonna get that pretty old money. I was more than that. I was better than that. But my wife had told me, she said, you keep going to the lowest common denominator, and there's so much more to you. Now, I didn't realize it right then. And yes, I didn't realize it right away when I got arrested. But that time that I was there, I came to realize. I came to believe. And and what I believed in was that I was better than what I thought I was. Mm. I didn't have to be that anymore. See, sometimes we can't change people's ideas. Mm. So as a man thinketh, so easy is. If you think you're nothing, you're probably going to feel like nothing. You're probably going to... Where you live at, you think it's nothing either. If you don't feel good about yourself, you won't feel good about where you live at. So that's a mindset. Like, like um, we can't take change the mindset of people that are racist because it's an idea. That's the way they think. You can't change that. And some of it is learned behaviors. Some of it is things they went through, and that's where they want to go. But I've come to find out that there is a better way. You know, while I was incarcerated, I was there for years. And uh, 
I was settled and ready to do my years, right? Mm. But God, and and this is the God that I serve that looked beyond my faults and saw that I needed him in my life. So I was the only one in the history of the prison that ever got the merit program. And what is the merit program? Instead of doing the years I was supposed to do, I only did six months. Mm. And, you know, the law is if you go behind a maximum security penitentiary, you have to stay a year and a day. That's the law. Mm -hmm. But God superseded the law. They used to tease me because I took notes in Catholic church and Protestant church. Mm. And they used to tease me. But that Friday, when they told me I was going home that Monday, that Sunday, everybody was in church taking notes. Mm. Atheists, agnostics, Muslims, Buddhists, because people want to do what works. Yeah. I found out that this gospel really works. Do you believe that bail reform, which, as we know, is taking some people that years ago would be in jail for a period of time, most likely Rikers Island if we're in New York, and now they're going to receive for certain crimes no jail time at all? For you, you said jail was a benefit. Yeah, was I wasn't arrested. I was rescued. So do you believe bail reform and not putting people in jail, do you think that's leading to more damage to these people? It's depending on who you are and where you are you know, and what you're ready. You know, there's rules to this thing and there's levels. Depending on where the person is, like, I was arrested a lot, but it was that last time that... I had enough. Why was that? Why was that? Because I was, last I was time? right where I was supposed to. Oh, at the right time. Was it the uh, sentence? Was the sentence longer than the other sentences? Of course, that's how it goes. Each sentence is longer than so, before. So was that the actual tipping point for you? No, like no. A couple of months in jail versus a year. I was ready to take and handle the time. I was okay with it. Mm. But I had an epiphany of really what I want to do in my life. And like one event we did, there's life after incarceration and your life can make a difference. That's what I learned, that I could be more than what I thought I was. Excuse me. I could do more than what I thought I could do. You know, there's life after drugs and your life can make a difference. We are all valuable commodities, but we can only come to that realization ourselves. And when did you come to this realization that you wanted to be a pastor and open a church and, and a church in Harlem? Well, I came to that realization and being in, I went through a lot of different churches. And, you know, you can learn a lot from a dummy. Don't do what the dummy do. You know, so I've been in churches where, you know, uh, they, they they have different ideologies, like uh, when the praises go up, the blessings come down. That's nowhere in the Bible. And do you think God is that less intelligent? That he's going to bless you because you clap your hands better than somebody else or move your feet or even run around and jump up and down. I don't go along with that ideology, but I do know it's some people that express themselves that way. And a lot of people that do are very emotional. Like when they told me I was going home, I went back to my cell. I shouted, shouted, I farted, I snorted. I did all. <laughs> I was very emotional because I saw that God had came to see about me. I didn't ask him to get out. Mm. 
He just did it for me. He didn't do it for nobody else. He did it for me. You know, I can't tell you why he did it, but I'm so glad he did. Hmm. I was happy. But I called my wife and I said, baby, I'm coming home. I said, baby, I'm coming home. You hear me? I'm like, you there? You there? She said, yeah, <laughs> mm. because she thought I was going to come back worse than what I was. Mm. She thought that the guy that went in was coming back, but I had enough of him. You know, it's not the enemy. It's the enemy enemy. Mm. It's not the devil. I am the devil of my own life, and my choices choose where I go. And I get better benefits from my choices when I choose better choices, mm. you know. Yes, I am a Republican because I believe what you put in is what you should get out. I don't believe I need the government to take care of me. I need to get up off my butt and take care of myself. That's what I believe. If you don't do nothing, you don't get nothing. I don't believe that welfare ought to be a crutch for generations. Hmm. You, your children, your grandchildren, go get you a case and you'll be all right. No, we need to learn our children how to be self-sufficient and how to be entrepreneurs. See, because only you are going to pay you what you deserve. Nobody else will. They'll give you the least that they can give you to keep you, right? Hmm. And you're just as good as the last thing that you did in the job. Do you think you will find more people from where you came from and Harlem, let's say Harlem, that would think this way because Harlem is voting Democrat, overwhelmingly Democrat. Um, and do you think we can find more people that would be interested in this type of ideology of self-help ideology and, and empowerment ideology? And secondly, how do we promote this more? Because, you know, what I believe fundamentally is I believe in welfare, but it needs to be used as a springboard, not as a net. Yes. And I think we've built a system intentionally to capture some people in that system and the capturing people into that system made them vote a certain way as a means to actually capture. LBJ was a racist. Mm -hmm. He made terribly racist statements about welfare Wait, his plan was to build he said uh if if we do this and what he was talking about get martin luther king off the chain game he said if we do this these niggers will be democrats for the next hundred years that's right he said that that's right and and the thing about it is i cut you off because that right there was really a point uh a lot of people in harlem are democrats and they are learning that like a city council, it's their job to keep the continuity of the community. But what they are doing is they're selling out the people to, you know, the developers, and they're getting kickbacks and rent in Harlem. When they let a building come in and you have to pay 400000 to live there, automatically the taxes around that area go up, then the rent go up, and that's what's happened. And the food prices go up. Everything and, and goes the up. Door styles go up. Everything goes up. You actually and, lose your sea town and, and you actually yeah. get a Starbucks, right? And yes, food emporium, you know. Yeah. Yes. And and what has happened is they're not putting you out, but you won't be able to afford to live there. And these are the people that you vote for. 
And that's why we have two parties. Because when you get tired of one, you can go to the other one. Now, I'm not saying everything Republicans do is right. I'm not saying that. But I do believe, as we as a people, we ought to learn how to get along, Republican or Democrat, to bring a better life to our community. That's what I believe. Uh, you know, they, they, they act like they hate each other, but they're all up in Albany going to the same restaurants. Yeah, that's right. Living in the same place. And you have lobbyists that no matter what way you vote, they'll get money for you. Yeah. So the bottom line is, you know, absolute power absolutely corrupts. We have to have more intervention in our political office that we vote in. We have to be more intervened and let them know if we vote you in, we'll vote your butt out. If they don't do what we need to be done. And right now, if you live in Harlem, you know they were ready to change the name of Harlem. Mm. And, and and it's changed. I remember when I, I was around Harlem and younger, you certain blocks you couldn't walk down. Mm. No, it, it's different now. And it's not that it's been genocide because they're, you know, uh, a different persuasion of people are there. I'm not saying it's all good, neither is all bad. We do have to learn how to come together, but it was a decisive analogy that they came up to take and have this happen because Harlem is just 10 minutes away from Midtown. Yeah, that's Th right. This was a plan, and we are not in the plan. Um, people that live in NYCHA, they're offering them $15,000 to leave their apartment. $15,000 ain't no money. You'll be homeless in no time, and you cannot come back. Yeah. Uh, and and you got a lot of young people that think, like, I take this $15,000, and I'm going to flip it, flip No, nah, that $15,000 be gone in no time, and you'll be on the street. They're giving people um, places to move in Jersey. You'll be Jersey problem. And Jersey doesn't have... You know, programs like that are in New York. Mm. A lot of people from Jersey come over to New York for detoxes, mm -hmm. for uh, other ways to take and get off drugs, because they don't have that over there. They come over to New York. And yes, it's not the best, but I do believe it's, I love Harlem. You know, I love New York. I really do, you know. And I believe our police department is the best police department. Now, nah, they're not perfect. Mm. You got some buttheads. But uh, if, you're in a, if you're in a shootout and you run out of bullets and you're behind one of them things, you know, you're going to wish police was coming. <laughs> Y'all ain't here yet? Yo, I ain't got no more bullets. Hurry up. <laughs> you know, but. What uh, did you think of, what did you think of Black Lives Matter? Uh, I'm going to tell you the truth. I wish black lives mattered to black people. I mean, 50 young black men killed 50 young black men last week. We kill each other on such an astronomical rate that police brutality really is, is far behind. And that comes from what we think about ourselves. Because if I think I'm not nothing, I don't think you're nothing. So it's okay for me to kill you because somebody else going to kill me. That mentality has to go. And we need to lead by example. 
That's the only way we can bring back our society, our young people, and you know, and and when I say in young people, a lot of young people we lost during the war with the Contras. They flooded our communities with crack and it paid for the weapons. And none of them went to jail, but a lot of us did. Hmm. We went to jail. We got hooked on drugs. And it was a planned out thought. You know, you have think tanks that think that know how many of this persuasion of people will get messed up. But they knew our communities would really get messed up. Do you think most people in Harlem, your friends and family and churchgoers that you have, do you think they do not trust the police? You think it's an issue? Looks like they know they don't trust the police. No. Why is that? Why don't they trust the police? Well, the police come around to take you to jail. They don't come around and say hi. You know, they come around to take you to jail. And the, you have to look at it both ways. They have to be or, authoritative. They have to be. Mm-hmm. You know, but yet and still, you know, there's certain things that they've done. Like police can't live in the community where they police. And I don't think that. I think a policeman ought to be somebody that you can connect with. Mm-hmm. See, because if you don't understand where I'm coming from, how could you help me? Yeah. You know, if you don't live in my hood, you can't tell me how to live in my hood. I was at your uh, church, I think, three or four weeks ago, and two police officers came. One black oh, yeah. police officer, and I believe the, the other one was an Italian woman, right? Yes. They came. Does that happen often? Do you see that type of community outreach by the NYPD? No, I, I um, invited them to come, mm-hmm. and I've done some things in the community, and I talked to some people that I know in law enforcement, and they had them to come. And I was really appreciative of that. And, you know, um, my man, Unique, he came and uh, he has a colorful path, you know, past. And what he really said to them, what he really said to them was like, I paid a lot of you off. And that's the truth. You know, he was in one of his cars. He had 30 cars, and he was riding around with a million dollars in cash. And they said, we could take the money or take you and the money to jail. So he said, do you want the car note to the Maserati too? (laughs) You know, like you're doing something. I got 29 other cars. You can have this one and have this little bit of money. But we have to get better as a community. And the way that I see it, no, it's never going to be perfect. God does not make perfect people. No, because if you're perfect, you know too much. And it was last week I I preached a sermon about I could do nothing without God. Mm. Now, and, and there was a couple of CEOs, right? And uh, they had their own way that they were going. And there was some things that happened with them that uh, Stavo Arnold, CEO of Bed Bath & Beyond, you know, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And he was talking to his wife, walked out off to the terrace, and just walked out and ended up a splat on the street. Because he made some bad 
financial decisions. Yeah. You know, but thinking that you are the be all end all, you think when you mess up that you're in charge, you mess up. No, you're not. God is in charge. So he had no God to rely on to let him know it ain't that. This is just something you got to go through. It's, it's somewhere else that I'm taking you. Kent Taylor, he's the CEO of Roadhouse. Mm. Uh, he had post-COVID syndrome. He got really depressed, and he killed himself. Mm. Uh, Jeffrey Parker killed himself by jumping in front of the chain. He was the CEO of Decanter Marta, which is a transportation industry. He was only 56 years old. Mm. And, and sometimes when you think you're a self-made man and you think that you have it all, and when it goes bad, you think you went bad. But it's something about having a God to rely on, a God to go to when everything seems like it's so messed up, mm. a God that looks beyond your faults because he know you're messed up. He made you. He didn't make you God. He made you human. And when you make bad choices, that don't make you a bad person. That just makes you human. How did you get on this 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 path of becoming a preacher, a a pastor? Well, I, I asked that previously. How, oh yes, you how, did. How, how did you get to wanting to open your own church and help young people? Mm -hmm. And your congregation is I find most of the people are, are people recovering from addiction problems or they have been to prison and we love to go. My mom came down as you know, and we, we had fun. And I never told my mom that most of the people here were in prison. I told her afterwards, she said, really? Because you can't tell a person that's been to prison and a blue collar person, like I think of myself, I was mm -hmm. brought up in a blue collar background. There's no difference. When we sit over meals, we can see there's no difference. Yesterday, you, you were down at an event of mainly blue collar people. Some of them have white collar jobs, but they grew up in West Haven. What's the difference between all of those white people and the black people that are in your actual country? I, I see no difference. No difference. They, they were very polite. They kept coming and asked me if I want anything else. I, I really don't drink, so I really didn't want another soda. I had one. Welcome to West Haven. This yeah. is a place where people can drink. All right. <laughs> uh, they were really so kind and came over and and one thing, you know, they would say, you know, Sean, he told us about you. And I'm, yeah, I pay him. He's doing his job. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they were very, uh, they was ever so friendly. I, I had a great time sitting out on the beach, you know, right with the fire right there. Yeah. Oh, that was, and then when the red moon came. Yeah. That was, I the blood pictures, moon. The blood moon. I took pictures of it. It was really, it was really ostentatious. So your congregation, people in your congregation. We do the same thing. The same thing, right? Yeah, with the same thing. interaction. We have hookouts. We do that usually every Sunday. You know, like you came down and we did it right in front of the church and people just walking by. Come on, say something. And why do you do this? Why do you do? Because you're making no money from it. It's actually a financial burden on you. It's a time. It's a huge time commitment. It's an energy commitment. I always tell you, put down your damn phone, right? What are you doing with that phone all the time? And, and you actually tell me, well, I don't know who's going to call. And it may be someone on the actual ledge. It may be someone that's going to talk them off the ledge. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, so why do you do this stuff? Why? I do this because somebody did it for me. When I got out of prison. 
It was this guy, right? And he's still my man. And he don't like me talking about it. So why don't we talk about it? Yeah, well, I'm talking about it anyway. He really don't like it, you know. <laughs> Lawrence is his name. Okay, Lawrence, I said your name. But uh, <laughs> it, it, I'll see him at NA meetings. And he was, you know, I told him, I said, you gave my mother back her son. Hmm. You gave my sons their father. How did he help you? Well, he, he came up state. And I didn't go come straight home. I went to uh, a rehab. Hmm. I was still a little scared. Hmm. You know, I was had enough, but I was like, hey, maybe I could. I don't want to go back. I'm going to never want to do that again. Yeah. So I went to a rehab, and uh, he came there, and he spoke. And then he gave me his number. He said, when you get out, give me a call. So I got out. I gave him a call. I told him to take my stuff home. He said, I'll be right there to pick you up. And he kept picking me up every day. He had a job. Hmm. But he was picking me up, taking me to meetings every day. You know, and uh, he helped me see that I could be better. Now, no, I didn't go along with everything he did. Uh, he, he He's still my man. Hmm. He, he's human. Yes, he, uh, he will bust you in the head with the chair. <laughs> you know, he's my man. Don't mess with him now. <laughs> he got some issues. When he said, leave me alone, that'd be a good time to leave him alone. But uh, I was telling him one day, I don't care what you say, man. You did something for me that I wasn't able to do for myself. And I'm going to forever love you. And uh, that's what I'm saying. He did it for me. He helped me come to see that I was better than what I thought I was. And why does that that interaction that you, you had with him lead you to want to do it to other people? Because I want other, other people to enjoy the freedom that I have. Hmm. You can't keep it if you don't give it away. Hmm. So I want to give it away. Really, I do. So when we be working out of something like that, and I tell you somebody call, I don't know who it is. Yeah. A lady called me this morning, and she was telling me she was in a dark place. And I shed some light. I, you know, and she was like, how do I know God is there? And I said, because you're still living. Hmm. God is there because the light in you comes from the light in God. He made us a living nephes, in other words, a living soul. And he put a part of us, himself, in us that keeps us going. You know, we, you know, when you love somebody, you can't love them for all the good things because we're neither all good or we all bad. And what do you want to do now? You're, we, we spoke quite a lot about steps that you want to take. You, you have an active congregation right now. Yeah. What would you like to do with this active conversation? What's what, the next step for you? The next step I'm working on, I want to start a program, and I got some things going, to counsel, mentor, and tutor young people, teach them how to edit, choreograph, and make short movies, and get into the fashion industry. I have a couple of young people in the church that have their own fashion company, and I had got them their first jobs. I mean, not their first, but I got them jobs. Got a mother a job, a father a job, and <laughs> an uncle, I mean, you know, and I'm talking about city jobs, and she told me one day, she said, Pastor Jack, I don't want to make you look bad, but I want to do more with my life. I, I have a yearning to have my own fashion company. So she does Nike, Lady Jeans, Uggs, and uh, many others. And she do um, fashion shows around, yeah. around the country. And, uh, like, it's certain things they know about young people that I don't know. 
Hmm. You know, one thing why young people don't talk to older people is because uh, older people say things like, when I was your age, <laughs> when you was my age, you did some dumb stuff too. <laughs> you know, uh, 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 what's wrong with y'all today? Y'all, what's nothing wrong with What was wrong with you? You know, it's kind of hard to love me and judge me at the same time. What do you need for this actual path, for what you want to do? What do you need? How can people help you with well, this? Well, I need, I need, of course, some finances, but I need, I need, if I could start, I think I've got it down to, a, if I get like $10,000, I can go from there. I, I'll get into a community center, but I'm working on it and, and I want to change the course of some of our young people's lives. Like I had a program where I, I gave jobs to men and women with criminal histories, mm. which was successful until COVID came. You know, mm. I, I had murderers working in five-star hotels mm. and they did good, you know, and I paid a good wage and uh, they worked so good they could become permanent. So they would work as you being an outsourcing agent? Yes. So, so, so you were like a manpower company yes. and with this manpower company you would place people into hotels hotels so they, and, so and and um uh, you know uh diff different other places like warehouses hmm. you know hotels where people could and see when you take away the capacity of what it is a man that he will not have to commit crimes you know it was a young man and he came to my house and at his house, he didn't have food. My mother told him, you could come in and eat whenever. Mm. Whenever you're hungry, you can come here. Just don't waste my food. My mother's like, don't waste the food. You know, them country folks, they, they don't believe in wasting food, and they're all big, and they want you to be big, too, you know? <laughs> you know? But, uh, like, she tell me stories about it. it. was one lady, her husband, he'd get drunk and lose all his money, and they would all get together and make him a pot of beans with a couple of neck bones and make him some cornbread, something to make it through the week until he got some money. But that's what we ought to do, help each other. I'm not talking about enable each other, mm. but help each other. You know, um, how do you tell, though? You know, we had a story about a mutual friend. And um, you're not I, talking about gay tone. No, I'm not talking about gay tone. <laughs> That's our buddy. That's my really good friend. <laughs> and he's not even gay. No, he's not. <laughs> so we have a friend. I won't say his actual name, but we both knew he was on the wrong path. If he followed what I was asking him to actually do, I was asking him to go onto a website mm -hmm. and try to learn. And he just said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And, and he was being paid for this job. And you told me at that time that sometimes people need to fail. How did you come to, I'm, I'm a little paying him mm -hmm. and he don't want to do it right there. He don't want to do it. You can't make people do what they don't want to do. Hmm. Like, I wish I could just make people stop using drugs. They don't stop until they get sick and tired of being sick and tired. That's a, And no, they don't stop because I want them to stop. They stop when they bust their head wide open enough. So if I can summarize this, uh, what you're saying is sometimes failure's good. Yes, it so is. So you, you can fail in life, learn from that failure. There you go. And that failure in of itself can lead to great things in the future. Well, so sometimes we need to, to let people fail. Yes. And then take away from it. See? Don't do what the dummy do. That's all you learn from the dummy. 
Hmm. And if you was the dummy, don't do it, dummy what you used to do. <laughs> dumb dumb, go buy some dumb dumbs and be a dumb dumb. Don't do that, dumb dumb. You got great sayings. You know, you, you learn from that. You know, but we was talking today with the young lady, and I was telling she telling me how hard it was for her as she grew up. I said, that's what made you better. Mm. Tough times don't last, tough people do. Yeah, It didn't happen to you, it happened for you. So when you got to a place, you wasn't one of those whiners. You'd get up off your butt and do what you had to do to make it. You know, mm. and, and I told her, I said, I see that in you. You're a strong person. You know, yeah, you went through some stuff when you're a strong person and you try to help others. But at the end of the day, you first have to help yourself. Yeah. Thank you so much, Pastor Jack. This was actually great. Let's wrap it up right now. And how can someone get in contact with you? And we'll also have it on our website too. But how, how would people be able to contact you? Just call me. And, and as you know, I answer my phone. 917-244-1329. And also what you can do, you, you can also send an email to us. It's Sean Hayes, S-E-A-N-H-A-Y-E-S at HayesSimon.com, and that will get to Pastor Jack too. So Sean Hayes at HayesSimon.com, and that would get to Pastor Jack. Thank you so much, Pastor Jack. Thank do, you so much. Do, do you want to say any a shout out to anyone or uh, shout out to your, out your to favorite person? Who, who's your, your best friend in your whole life? My wife. Okay. Hey, Joe. Hey, baby. <laughs> All right. Now. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you, Pastor Jack. All right. Thank you for listening to Sean Hayes' podcast. Let us know if you have any questions or concerns or if you have a story that you want to share on the podcast. Thank you. Goodbye.